This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 7 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsor this week is Biostar US. Driver James Houston speaks to driving the training horse. The breed of the show is the Shiba Inu. Critter Nutrition covers bovine colostrum. Hedwig eats chocolate. And we discuss dog food in the coffee clutch. Listen in. Tigger Montague. And this is Patty Perucci. And you're listening to Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Patty, we have a really good show this week. I think we do. I agree. I'm excited to talk to James Houston about training the driving horse. Yes, um, because, you know, he he's a really experienced driver. He grew up in England. His family... Um, drove and and had carriages and things for for movies which must have been I had no idea fascinating I mean, yeah and all the time I've known James I had no idea I didn't know any of that so that was it was it was really cool to to listen and hear all about that and the different things that you how 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 uh, interesting driving can be in close to actually riding um not so much dressage but just how much you use your body so that was pretty neat to listen to that too and you're going to talk about the Shiba Inu. Oh, yes, I Japanese am. The Japanese breed that you yes. have experience with. Oh, yes, I am. And boy, did I learn even more stuff. Just saying. <laughs> it was actually really interesting. It truly was interesting. And then I am excited um, that you're going to be talking about bovine colostrum. Yep, one of my favorite foods. Yep. And Hetty and her incident with a little bit of uh, chocolate candy. Uh, yes, she's a really bad little Pomeranian. I think she may be. I hope she doesn't listen in. <laughs> I do too. Because <laughs> you're going to be. In and we're going to talk about dog food because that is a big topic. People have lots of questions. There yep. are a lot of opinions about what to feed. So we're going to talk about that. Cool. We're really excited to have James Houston joining us today. James is a friend of Patty and mine. He's a, yes. a driver and. Um, and a dressage rider. And a dressage rider and trainer and um, a practitioner of yoga, which he incorporates into um, training driving horses and dressage horses. So um, we're excited to have him. Welcome, James. Hi, James. Hey, Tigger. Hey, Patty. How are you guys? We're good. How are you? Fabulous. Well, we want to learn more about training driving horses. Okay. So, what would you like um, to know? Well, I'd like to know how different or similar it is to training dressage horses. Of course, I know you're not a stride, but um, you're also a dressage trainer. So, can you tell us a little bit about training uh, driving horses? Uh, I think uh, there are some similarities in the beginning in terms of lunging, it's very helpful. Uh, for example, getting the horse uh, balanced both directions, left and right, walk, trot, canter, just making them comfortable. Um, then you start adding things that you like the harness. Um, and uh, sometimes that can be a little a bit alarming. It's uh, a lot more stuff than uh, we would have seen in the riding world. Uh, then um, also, once they're comfortable with lunging, with uh, all the harness on, uh, you start adding things like the the blues, and uh, I can that takes them a little while to get used to. Sometimes some horses not an issue. Um, generally speaking, for pleasure driving, you wouldn't want something exceptionally sensitive or responsive, or you might not live very long. But some of the combined driving people, they really like something a little hot. Um, like the Dutch horses are really popular now. Uh, or if you look at someone like uh, 
or Tucker Johnson's team or some of the other team members. I mean, just beautiful warm bloods. Or uh, Paul May has a beautiful team warm bloods uh, from Europe. I mean, just to top. So, so um, question, James: Do you is it necessary if you're going to have a if you're going to have a horse that you know just exclusively you're going to drive? Is it necessary as a young horse to actually break them to ride? What's the difference? Uh, not really. If you had no desire in that department and it served no function for you, then uh, it probably served little purpose. Uh, the the horse's job is the horse's job. Whatever you make that. Um, the plus side of helping them uh, ride is if you were interested in combined driving and you want to improve your flat work and the saddle okay. is a really good way to go. Um, okay. Long lining is fabulous, but it can be, it still has its limitations in terms of helping the horses. Uh, the under saddle work definitely does help, uh, whether it's uh, maintenance, rehab, or schooling. So that's one little element. Okay, so that's uh, a, actually another good question. So, like, if you have horses that you're driving that are in training or that you're preparing for something, how often do you actually get on them and then ride? Well, again, I think that would depend. Uh, if we were making the conversation exclusively related to combined driving, uh, you put, and it also depends how good do you want your flat work. Um, you, in terms of you also, your driving skill has to increase exponentially as well. If you start having a more sensitive, responsive horse that can actually move in the vents of the case, you have to be so much more precise with your aids as a driver, so you can no longer sit there with a glass of champagne and uh, <laughs> Damn it. a rainy chance. I know. That rules us boring. out. Oh, God, I can't do yeah. it. <laughs> Interesting. You know, the one uh, time that I have really been run away with was with a little black Shetland pony. It was, you know, buy a farm, get a Shetland driving pony free. <laughs> and he yes. came, she, yes. she, she came with a cart, a little pony cart. I had not a clue what I was doing, but she came with the harness. I figured out how to put it on, got in the cart, started driving, thought this was really fun, drove down the you know, little dirt road, and one day she just bolted. Oh, and geez. I'm like, oh, there's no brakes to this. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> well, this is a really common problem. People uh, see driving and go, oh, my God, that's, uh, how difficult can this be? Um, and then everything can go along quite smoothly. Until we get into, uh, again, this is where braking can be done very quickly, but if you skip little details like uh, steering and brakes and accustoming <laughs> yeah. the horse yeah. to yeah. external noises, like, for example, supposing you've done an amazing job of long lining and all your preparation and your horse goes beautifully in the arena, in the carriage, and then you take him on the gravel road and then all of a sudden... The gravel goes ping, 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 ping on the carriage. And guess what? You are on your way to Belmont races. You are going really fast. Uh, and then another occasion, that's where you might die. Or you might get lucky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I have to tell you something, something funny that happened with, with James. Gave me a carriage ride in a foreign hand, which I've never been in right. and about a week ago. And I really wanted to take the reins. And Patty, Did you? yes, I took the reins. And James stayed in the thing with you? <laughs> it's amazing. I know. You're a brave man. Please go on. And there was That's no champagne, me. please. <laughs> I know. Well, the funny thing is, I, <laughs> I get the reins, and suddenly you feel all this power in your hands. I mean, it's yeah. not like what you feel when you ride right, a horse. Right. Right. And I, I suddenly we were going off the road because I couldn't keep them straight. And James is still in the thing with you? I know. Yeah, Amazing. He, then, he then, he then okay. took the reins because this only took about six seconds to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're having four in hand, I can't even imagine. It's unbelievable. 
I've only ever done, I mean, uh, my brief stint with driving was when I was pregnant with Ray and I had a mini that came with a cart and, um, because I couldn't ride. So I was going to drive that thing all over, you know, Rivers Bend. And, um, it, first off, it was just exhausting getting it hooked up to the cart. <laughs> you know, it was just exhausting. Yeah. I kept thinking, what does this thing go through? Why is that there? So, I mean, the, you know, the tack to it is so overwhelming, um, but you know, you pull that rein too tight, you tip that guard over. You know, not that that's funny how that happens. Yeah, um, but that that like I can't even imagine the feeling of having four in hand. Um, it is definitely a specific skill, and um, not for the faint of hearts or um, those with a modest pocketbook. Four in hand can be a little bit obscenely expensive. How did you even get into this? Um, I. Yes, basically, my I grew up with my parents, and they had a uh, boarding stable, and we did uh, weddings, horse-drawn weddings, and uh, carriage rides, and film work. And then, of course, uh, with your film work, you need uh, your period carriages, and and you that gets you more interested in the historical aspects of driving. And yeah, there were many times where you need. You need everything from a single, a pair, a four, right. um, every description of carriage. And it exposes you to a huge amount of uh, old-timers uh, who just grew up driving in World War One or right. before World War One. So it was a wonderful way to grow up. Um, and so then um, I tried, like, a regular job, and I was a, a little bit traumatized. Uh, after being on the film set and you know, working with horses uh, for most of one's childhood, uh, the the prospect of a real job seems quite horrifying. Too too much. So so like, how would if somebody was like, because I, I like you know, obviously I ride a lot of Spanish horses and have been very into them, and um, a very good friend of mine, Jenny Johnson, does a lot of driving. How how do you? How do you just like if someone wants? Okay, I've got this horse. I've decided I want to start doing some driving. How do you? How does that start? How do you contact? Like, how do you? How does that start? If someone, if the listeners want to start driving, what's the next step? Um, it's a really good idea to get some professional guidance because because mm, of the dying okay. factor. <laughs> well, dying is so inconvenient. Especially <laughs> if you've got family members and things. Right, but uh, also. Uh, some of the shortfalls that often happen is, for example, uh, people might start with a draft horse and, oh my goodness, this is so easy, this horse is so kind, and you you go along with a very gentle trot, that's your maximum speed, and then you might make the mistake of, well, that thoroughbred looks awfully attractive, and he was only $500. And um, that might be okay if you have experience, but if you lack experience, it can it can go pretty south pretty quickly. So, so picking um, the horse is a big deal. Pick having the right horse is a very big factor in this. Uh, yes, and uh, this is one of the uh, I think pitfalls of uh, people coming to driving later because then they start thinking, well, uh, you know, I can't. I'm not quite so active, so driving will be perfect for me. And to some degree, that's true. If you have some professional help, someone will steer you in the right direction. Uh, carriage-wise, harness-wise. Um, there's a myriad of pitfalls, for example. Um, you can buy uh, what's referred to as a Meadowbrook's cart, a little two-wheel vehicle. That's uh, so like between 800 bucks and 1000 bucks. It seems like a great way to get started, but right. it, if you desire to go further, it's a, a little bit finite. It, it's a bit like buying a dressage saddle that is re, puts you in a really badly chair-seated position or... Oh, okay. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. I would never have thought of that. I would never have thought of that. Okay. Like, it's like a cart's like a saddle. You've got to have something that fits what you're doing, I guess. Yeah. And give you a good posture. And so that you can use your body correctly and then learn to use your body correctly in the driving, uh, and your muscle memory. And so that you can then use your hand in a, in a nice way. Um, so it's all, uh, there's so much to it, um, but there there are many people you'll hear. They'll say, "Ah, oh, yes, we bought this horse at market, and we he, he was broken to drive, so we just put him in the harness, and uh, 
yeah, all goes well sometimes. Right. So, yeah, that's 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 interesting. I would never have thought of it like that. So if you're a first time, um, you know, want to get into driving for fun, not necessarily for competition, <laughs> is there a specific kind of? I mean, should you be looking for a pony that's been driving, um, sort of like a a schoolmaster in dressage? Absolutely. You know, something really safe. So you can get some competence, some mileage, be safe, be happy. Um, and just off the top of my head, like uh, little halflingers, Canadian crossbreeds. I love halflingers. Uh, I love halflingers, too. I want me a halfy. Um, <laughs> yes, they're cute. They're furry. Uh, like Connemara ponies. They're great. I mean, um, there's, there's a great smorgasbord out there. Even... Uh, Naughty children's ponies, they often make good driving ponies. Interesting. Uh, you can kind of put them to work rather than torturing some small child uh, <laughs> that can actually be put to work. How about so, the saddlebreds and hackneys in that group? Ah, that's, uh, that's quite fascinating. Um, the hackneys, it depends entirely on the breeding. Yeah, they're pretty cool horses uh, to drive. They are really fun, but they're not for the faint of heart. Um, they really are bred for, well, if we go back historically, we say, um, like the English hackneys of old, they really were bred for blood, for movement, so it really was like a thoroughbred. Don't forget, maybe about a hundred years ago, the Dutch went over to England and purchased a lot of really high quality, uh, hackney horses and that's what went into the Gelderlanders and the Dutch harness horses, uh, where that big uh, knee action comes from. So they're really a nice horse. Uh, generally, nice minds. Um, some one of the downfalls of hackneys in today's climate is um, they're mostly bred for the showing, so they usually have that cracked out expression on their face, and uh, I've been chased with fire extinguishing things. So um, <laughs> sometimes that's not desperately safe for adult amateurs. So how does um, yoga fit into all this for you, James? Ah, yoga. Uh, for me, for uh, with regard to the driving, um, it can be a little sedentary, but you still definitely need uh, your core. You need strength. You need flexibility. Um, otherwise, you just... When everything's going smoothly, it's like when you're having a time just right. Life is good. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so uh, when you're having a bad day, and the horse is up, just pulling your arms out, uh, or a cyclist comes alongside you and they're about to run off, or somebody sees something new, yeah, it can take you by surprise a little bit. And so you do need uh, that strength, but you also, you absolutely need the feel to know when to give and soften and release. Um, and I think that just general mental and physical fitness really helps. And just uh, finding a, being centered, finding a mental balance uh, makes you a much better trainer with a rider or a driver. How's that for a thought? That's a good thought. That's, That's really, really interesting. Well, it, I don't think anybody would really sit there and think, oh, you really need to use your core while sitting down in a cart. But oh, let me tell you, sense. after holding a, reins of a foreign hand, you need an incredible core. And it really made me appreciate, you know, guys like Tucker Johnson right. with those horses going at speed cross country. I'm like, if he doesn't do yoga, I would be surprised. Well, I could just tell you being pregnant with Ray on that little cart and trying to keep that thing from not tipping over, I am certain I used a lot of core. Yeah. Um, I've never been pregnant, but... Uh, <laughs> Thank God. I know. It's really very fortunate. Uh, I'm told it's very good that yoga is very good for pregnancy, too, even yeah, if you well, want to drive at the same time. Yeah. Well, so was driving that cart. Well, that, that's so interesting. I mean, I think this is a lot of the points that I, I would never have thought of. Me um, neither. For some of this. So that's pretty cool. Well, cool. So thanks, James. How can people who are interested in driving, um, I know you're located in Middleburg and Wellington. How is there a website they can get in touch with you? Uh, for me, it's inbodytoliving.org 
or um, a great resource is the CAA, Carriage Association of America. Um, that has all kinds of links and <clears throat> things for enthusiasts. A uh, great resource to look at in terms of carriages, horses, uh, types of harness. Because the subject of Thora, it's okay. Um, if you're interested in driving, what would you like to do? What's your, you know, your end goal? And so on. Do you also want to be a pleasure driver? Do you want to do competitions, presentation? So that's um, some of it. Cool. So that okay. that'll give somebody a start. Great, yeah. James. Thanks, and have a good evening. And I I will you see you at our lesson in a couple of days. Oh boy. Oh, Thank you very much. One Facebook post on that. Thanks, James. <laughs> Have a good night. You okay. too. Okay. Bye. Hey, Hetty. Hello, Hetty. Hello, Tigger and Patty. How are you? Well, to be honest, I'm having quite an exasperating day. Why is that? I have some issues with the fact that this morning it was dark when we arrived at the barn <laughs> and we are still at the barn and it is again dark. So oh. we have been here for an entire year. <laughs> have you eat did you get to eat, Hedwig? Can we call what I was offered food? No. Was there some nonsense in a bowl put down in the middle of a barn aisle? Yes. Have you talked to your servant about this? Tigger, you know, I have learned something in my years. You cannot fix stupid. <laughs> you can hit it. You can speak to it softly. You can yell at it at the top of your lungs, but you are not going to fix it. Oh. Well, we have a a a, a uh, a question for you. And Hedwig. I would love to answer it, especially if it involves my getting a snack later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, it involves why dogs should not get chocolate. And maybe you can tell your chocolate story. Oh, oh. this is a story close to my heart. and really a theme that we should embrace. So my servant is so reckless with my well-being that she left a chocolate bar wrapped inside a package taped shut in her car. And she was supposed to mail it to the other person, but she did not do so and left me in the car with it for approximately seven minutes because it was <laughs> raining and I would not get out of the car. And uh -huh. so I was forced, due to starvation, to eat the chocolate bar, which was a very expensive <laughs> organic chocolate bar with 72% uh -oh. cocoa in it. Uh -oh. And so, as you might imagine, due to the fact that I had been deliberately poisoned, oh. I was violently ill all night long. Oh. For I am a 10-pound dog, and I ate an enormous amount of chocolate. And I was both violently ill and hysterically wild due to the caffeine. <laughs> So you were sick and crazy. Crazy is a judgy term, Patty. We should I'm, not be judgy. Oh, I just meant from the caffeine. Excuse me. <laughs> I was so, barking my head off, and I was running around the room, running around the room, running around the room, and then I would puke everywhere, and then I would oh, run no. around the room some more, and run around the room some more, and then I would jump on my son's face, and then I would puke some more. Oh, boy. So why is chocolate bad for dogs, Hetty? The reason is that cocoa is, in fact, poisonous to dogs. And so it is, for example, better for you to eat the one pound of white chocolate fudge that I ate last Christmas oh. than to eat the one bar of 72% dark chocolate that gotcha. I ate last week. So, that so is it's why. the cocoa. It's the cocoa. Yes, but caffeine is also quite dangerous. <laughs> yes, so well, really, I can imagine that. Yeah, you've got to keep chocolate away from me. It sounds like my it. Okay. <laughs> and because Valentine's Day is coming up, I yeah. would urge you, if you are going to poison your significant others with chocolate, 
to keep it away from your dogs and you don't kill your pets just because you hate your loved ones. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> Great advice, Hedwig. Well, I, I hope you get home soon. Yes, me too. I will never get home. There's something about leg wrapping and a list of chores. I got bored in the middle. Oh, boy. Well, I I hope it it won't be midnight before you return. So um, thank you for enlightening us about chocolate. And hopefully our listeners know not to feed a Pomeranian or a Great Dane any chocolate. Amen. Or leave it in the car sealed inside a box that's taped shut. (laughs) Gotcha. So a secured package is not good. Gotcha. (laughs) Not appropriate. Check. Check that box. And now it's time for the breed of the show. So Tigger, um, this week uh, or this episode, we've decided to um, do the Shiba Inu. And as you know, (laughs) once again, I had one. Actually, Hannah had one. And I have to tell you, uh, I... It was one of those things when I was like, why did I not read about this before I got the dog? (laughs) Um, They are a delightful, really, truly delightful small dog. And I just, and anything that I'm reading truly comes off of several different websites. Um, We got it. We had one named Olive. Um, I got it for my daughter, Hannah. Um, Seemed like a perfectly cute, personable, fun little dog to have. So what attracted you to, I mean, what was, what made you go, wow, I want a Shibu Shiba, Shiba Inu. Um, I think because it was different and small and, you know, going back and forth um, to Florida, it, you know, if you have dogs, it's so much easier when they're small and transportable, as, as you know. And um, I wanted something that Hannah could very easily exercise on her own and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, when we got the dog, we were still in Michigan and um, she was underage uh, she was younger than she should have been before they let her leave the breeding facility. But um, she was probably, she was probably like seven or seven and a half weeks. And we were living on a very large farm. <laughs> and it was the very first indication the second day we had her on how the rest of our lives would be with her when <laughs> Hannah put her in the grass and she took off. She was seven and a half weeks. She was like a powder puff running. She was a sesame color or red sesame, which is kind of like a, color of a sesame seed really and um she took off and uh, like literally wouldn't come back and i kept going oh this isn't good (laughs) this is not good (laughs) and that was basically how she was the rest of her life so here's some of the things that i picked up i went to akc i went to i mean a couple different places that i like to google when we do this because i like to find out more than what i what my experiences are with the dogs but they are the smallest of the japanese dogs and i guess there's six different distincts uh breeds of the spits and she's the shiba you know is one of the spits but it's small it's actually the most popular um dog in in japan which i thought was very interesting Mm. um they are they're They're all trying to get away from um the (laughs) (laughs) the bigger dog <laughs> no, they're all trying to get away from the nuclear meltdown. <laughs> Probably, and and this is the dog to do it because they can run quickly. Um, exactly. But they are—they're very small. They're conveniently sized. They're just a handsome, hearty little dog. They're easy to groom. They come in four different kind of cool colors. We had a, a red sesame. There's sesame, just a red, black, and tan, black and sesame. I've I've seen a couple others. Um, they are this is this is direct from the, the the websites. The Sheba is very challenging to train, high spirited and bold. Always this is like underlined capitalization, keep on a leash. Ah. Now, let me, now Tigger, I'm gonna go back to a little uh, olive story, which I'm sure you'll remember when we were at Farfield <clears throat> and um we lived across the road from the barn that i trained out of and it was and it's you know a rural area there was you know it's it was a there was people there was you know traffic on this road but it wasn't ridiculous and occasionally olive would get out and she would go to the barn um which would be fine because we would if we could catch her <laughs> and when i say could that was a big could um you know we could get her there bring her back well one time during a snowstorm um sh- we did not have the success in catching her and she went to the neighbor's yard where she decided to kill show chickens now 
first off, I didn't know there were show chickens, number one, because that was shocking to me. And secondly, why do you keep your show chickens outside, right? Don't you Free lock range. them up? Yeah. So anyway, um, that's the first time I realized she was quite a handy little hunter. The second time would be when somehow a squirrel got into my uh, basement where I would do laundry and where my laundry uh, machine and stuff was. And Peter went downstairs. My husband went downstairs to see something. And he said there was just something very quickly moving behind him, which was freaky because he couldn't see it. And it was – she. he was like, like a stealth jet. That dog came downstairs, realized what was going on, zeroed in on it, and had that thing dead in, in his – like in, in front of him. And seriously, no time. I wasn't there for that. But this is, this is one of those things where the, the recount of the story was pretty ridiculous. So they're really obviously an amazing hunting dog. And they're quick and they have a high, keen sense of smell. Um, they couldn't reiterate enough on the different sites about honest and truly. It's a very humorous dog. It's a great, great dog. It has to be in secure fencing. And did I mention it needs to stay on a leash? <laughs> did I mention that? <laughs> a leash that's intact with the collar that doesn't break. Um, Isn't living it in that Wellington, they don't bark? No, they do. Oh, no, they do a little barking. They're not. They're not major barkers. Um, uh, they're not big barkers, but they do a little barking. Um, um, they're <laughs> the, um, other words that they used adjectives they used was destructive, excessively suspicious, aggression, hard to contain, running away when called, and heavy shedding. <laughs> <laughs> but honest and truly, the one thing about this dog that was so neat is they really, it really was a very highly trainable dog. Um, she had a great sense of humor, and I, I've said many, many times that Olive could have run the country. She, they're just, they, and I think part of the thing is, is that it has to be a dog. Um, they're not a great apartment dog. They have to. They definitely kind of like your dog's tigs. They have. There's a certain amount of time you have to engage them, and it's not necessarily with them just activity, but but you definitely need to engage their brain. Um, not like a German shepherd with a job. You, it's a little bit different. Um, you, you need to have interaction with them, teaching them stuff, talking, you know, it, it, it's, it's like a job, but they're, there's just, they're one of the smartest dogs I've ever dealt with in my life because when you would clearly explain to them, um, what you wanted, as long as they were agreeable, they would do it. You know what I mean? Um, where like a German shepherd be like, Oh yeah, cool. I can do this. Um, it, it, it just, it was a terrific dog and they really, um, but they, you can't, in certain situations, you can't count on them. Like if you're in a farm situation like we were, where we had other animals and dogs, she was fine with that. You have to be careful with cats. Some days they're okay with cats, other days they're not. So their, their, their sense of wanting to hunt and wanting to kill things was pretty hard. You know, you had to, you, you just, you had to always make sure that they were in a position where, um, they were on a leash. <laughs> just wanted to point that out because I've never seen a dog take off more, more than I did with this dog. Um, but again, they, I've met other people that have had uh, Shiba Inus in the, you know, obviously you have a dog like that and you see a lot of other people with them. And I think that, um, I do think that the females tend to be a little bit stronger willed. Um, I mean, haven't you found that with your, some of your dogs, but you don't really have a lot of females, do you? I don't. Yeah. Um, I got, I'm enough female for one household. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah. Um, and I think, and we ended up with a female, which probably made it a little bit more difficult. But the thing that I was so overwhelmed by, by the, they're just the most beautiful dogs. They're just beautiful dogs. And they really do have a great sense of humor. But they're not really an apartment dog. Um, they're, they're not really, honestly, it's not that they're not a farm dog. Cause they got her. She was great with the horses. She was very fearless, but you just, it's not like you're going to let the dog loose somewhere and hope that it's going to come back. You know, you just, they, it, it the, every site that I went to really emphasized, keep the dog on the leash. Cause they're, they just kind of go, yeah, you know what? I don't want to, and they'll come back, but it, you know, it's, I think In their own time. Yeah. And they're, do- and they're like door bolters. So you really do have to do a lot of stuff with them, interaction, teaching them to sit, making them wait. Um, but interesting little dogs, very interesting little dogs. We're at our nutrition corner on healthy critters, and we're going to talk about bovine colostrum for immune support. The equine immune system is quite complex. Certain triggers, such as nutritional deficiencies, stress, sickness, old age, 
can compromise the body's defense mechanisms. The immune system's job is to protect and eliminate external pathogens like bacteria, viruses, parasites, allergens, as well as internal pathogens like cancer cells, toxins, metabolic waste, and damaged tissues. There's an old horseman's adage that the health of the horse begins in the gut. And it's important to remember that because the GI tract plays a key role in the immune system. A digestive tract that is unhealthy can lead to an overloaded immune system that can lose the ability to respond to pathogens. A fatigued immune system can make the horse more prone to infections. On the other hand, an immune system that over-responds or is in hyperdrive creates more inflammation. A good example of this would be, you know, allergies or hives. It's a clear indication that the immune system is overreacting. One of my favorite foods for um, immune support and immune balance is bovine colostrum. It provides over 80 different immune factors, including the important antibodies known as IgG and IgA. These antibodies are effective at neutralizing a wide range of bacteria, viruses, and pathogenic microorganisms. One of the really unique factors of bovine colostrum is that it contains what are called PRPs. Those are, those are known as proline-rich polypeptides, and they're able to balance the immune system through regulating the thymus gland, which is the master of the immune system. This ability to regulate means that a fatigued immune system will get additional support in responding to pathogens, while an immune system that is over-responding and overreacting will be quieted down and therefore reducing inflammation. Bovine colostrum contains lactoferrin. It's a premier immune regulator. Lactoferrin can regulate the production of the inflammatory cytokines, which the body overproduces in many autoimmune conditions. For example, allergies and inflammatory bowel disease. Um, when to use bovine colostrum, um, I, I really find that it's a very helpful, supportive food for horses with EPM, Lyme's, uveitis, allergies, inflammatory bowel, chronic inflammation, wound healing, acute inf infections when the horse travels, and during periods of stress. Um, in, in Ayurvedic medicine, colostrum is a cooling food that reduces the fire of the pita dosha. And the pita dosha is the dosha which governs digestion and metabolism. So um, a horse that has a pita imbalance, it, the signs of it would be diarrhea, skin irritations, and inflammation. Um, bovine colostrum can be given to cats, to dogs, and to humans. Um, I personally take a quarter of a teaspoon per day of bovine colostrum when I travel, um, now when I'm in Florida for the season, and when I feel an inkling of a cold coming on. The other thing to remember about bovine colostrum is that its activity is measured in IgGs. So there are lots of, of, of colostrums on the market. You want to look for a colostrum with the highest IgG. Uh, Biostar's colostrum happens to be 38% IgG, which is almost uh, the close, the highest would be 40% IgG, and that would be a, a mare colostrum replacement for a foal. So the IgG percentage is really important in telling you just how um, powerful that colostrum is. And we are very picky about our colostrum. It, we, we get it from Canada because the cows um, are grass-fed and they 
don't they aren't given any um, hormones like RBGH, so they're RBGH free. Um, bovine colostrum is a very important food for the immune system, and it does help the bring to bring the body back to homeostasis. The end. So, coffee clutch. This segment is going to be about dog food, which um, I know Tigger, you have a lot of information about. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions about it. You have a lot of opinions about it. But I hope what we can do this time is really talk about um, the different advantages and disadvantages because, I mean, a lot of people are busy and that's always my big thing is I always want to try to feed the best that I can and then I get into a time crunch. So um, why, don't, why don't you start out, Tiggy, with what your, your favorite thing is to feed? Um, I love raw. Mm-hmm. And... I think raw is, you know, one of the best foods you can feed your dog. The problem with raw is if you're trying to travel, mm-hmm. it's very difficult. I'm also right. a vegetarian, so there, there, I get into this conflict <laughs> right. that um, is sometimes uh, hard to deal with ethically yeah. um, for me. And right. there's the convenience factor. Sometimes raw is really convenient. Um, I love these, you know, ready-made patties. Yes. These I was going to ask about that. You right. just mm-hmm. open up the bag and break up the patty and you're good to go. Right. But um, sometimes they're hard to find. Sometimes you have to drive way out of your way to go to a specialty store to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been using down here, I've been mixing um, the Primal brand which are the patties, mm-hmm. um, with a brand that I get at Whole Foods that's in like a tube. Right. And um, I find that by mixing the two, the dogs get um, a better variety of proteins and fruits. Right. Um, but I also add a little kibble. And the reason I do is because I travel and, and right. the dogs travel with me. Right. So sometimes you just need to have kibble as sort of a foundation upon which to build your feed program. Well, and the other thing is too with the whole raw food diet is, you know, it like you said, it's it's easy to do. I was actually doing dehydrated food for a while, mm-hmm. which did not work well with the Frenchies. It was a great food for two reasons. One, um, they're they may be small, but they are hefty, and um, I couldn't feed them enough, and they were too slight. I mean, they were definitely too skinny, but wow. they also would um, – they because of the way their sh- faces are shaped, it, they would um, – they would sniff it in. They would breathe it in, and then they would end up having you know the palate issue. Um, so that was a little wow. bit of a problem. And that was easy to travel with because it was just, just to put it in my car or whatever. It was fine, but I couldn't keep the weight on them that I knew that they needed. Um, but with the raw food, I mean, I know that's hard because you have to really travel with a cooler yes, of some sort. But the other thing is, is that, and this has always been my biggest question is that there has to be a certain amount of hardness to their food as well because of their teeth. And that's a, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that with the raw diet? Well, I guess you give them a little bit of kibble. Bones. Mm-hmm. My okay. dogs get marrow bones a couple of times a week. Right. Okay. And I, I think marrow bones are, are as close to, you know, bringing down the bison. Yeah. <laughs> I just had that thought about that happening in my living room. And, yeah. um, you know, Kimasavi is eight years old and he had his vet checkup before we went to Florida. The vet looked at his teeth. His teeth have never been done, ever. Wow. He's eight years old. She looked at him. She goes, well, he doesn't need it this year. Wow. So I think part of that is the quality of food that they get and that they get bones, which are a a great source of calcium. And it allows them to work off the tartar because there's perfect. So that's, yeah, that's, that's good to know because that's, that's answers. I think it's a fallacy to say that kibble is going to um, help the dentistry of a dog because kibble, even the really good kibble, is still a processed food. Right. That's true. And, But the bone thing, thats I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, I give my dogs um, bones. I don't give them um, what you're saying, but that is a good thing that 
to get off the tartar. I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, yeah, they're great. Now, I don't, you know, I know some raw foodists do feed like chicken, I mean, uh, turkey necks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You do have to be careful. I don't feed any bone that's cooked. I mean, I wouldn't feed, you know, a chicken bone of any kind. And especially when they're cooked, they're become more brittle, right? Soft, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And you can get splinters and things. So, um, marabones. But what what about the chicken raw? I mean, because I have a friend that has um, deer hounds, and she literally will cut up um, raw raw chickens. Um, They're organic and all of that good stuff, but give them to them that way. You know, I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of the problem is that we have chickens. And chickens are our friends. And right. I don't want my dogs, dogs eating the chickens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. But if, if it wasn't for that, why would you not feed? I mean, is that really the main reason why you wouldn't feed? Well, Ch- the chicken whole like, or raw like half, that? I, I would be worried about the bones. Okay. Because uh, that's but always that, been my big thing. That may be an unwarranted concern. Right. Um. I, I would only feed a, a chicken to a dog raw that came from an organic source that I knew how they were taken care of. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. Now, Peter, my Peter, yeah. he likes to cook the food in a crock pot. Right. So our dogs basically get a blend of cooked and raw. So right. one day they may have you know, buffalo that's been cooking in the uh, the slow cooker all night with some veggies. Right. And in the evening, they may be getting raw buffalo. Okay. Wow. And where, are you, do, getting I, the, where are you getting the buffalo? I, I, you know what? Believe it or not, at home, I can get it at Giant. Wow. And down here, I get it at Whole Foods. Okay. And it's oh, grass-fed and it's antibiotic-free mm-hmm. and it's lower, way lower in fat than any other protein other than turkey. Wow. So if you've got an easy-keeping dog um, that you don't want to put more weight on, buffalo is, a, is an awesome choice. And I think the other thing, unless your dog has specific food allergies, is mixing up the proteins. You know, if they were in the wild, they wouldn't just be eating one you know, they right. just wouldn't be dieting on bison. They'd probably be eating rabbit and, you know, fish if they could catch it or something that a bear might have left. So right. I try to feed them that way. Right. So, so what do you do about kibble? I mean, what makes you choose Because the of the ease of it. Truly because of the ease of it. And I, with the Frenchies, they, they do have some gas issues. Um, and so what, <laughs> just saying, um, and the crappier you feed them, the worse it gets. I have always given them zero grain, some type of like with no grain in it, because that is, I've been told is really good for, um, the allergies and, uh, because they do have a lot of skin allergies, but, um, I go on dog advisory and when we were talking oh, dog about food advisor. Dog food advisor.com. Yes. And I told you that I, um, and some of my convenience is being able to get stuff in a grocery store, which isn't always that conducive, but I, I had decided at the very least I needed something that was a four star rating. And I think there's five, four, I guess it's one through five is, and the one that I ended up feeding because it was zero grain and the, the first ingredient was meat. And I really investigated, um, and shockingly was Rachel Ray. And I looked it up when we were talking the other day and, um, it, it is a four store rating. Um, and, it, and the thing that's nice about that website is it really explains, um, if there's any questionable ingredients, it'll highlight them, but it will give a little history on the food. I mean, it's really quite good. And it's, you know, it gives it gives anybody a good explanation of what may work for them and why. Um, I um, and I I also I love feeding from, which is a Canadian. Um, I love from. Yeah, and the problem I have with from, and that's easy for me to get, but the Frenchies do not do as well on that gas wise. Um, believe it or not, and I'm not sure why. But the thing about that particular company is my little specialty dog food store. It's not overly expensive. It's it's definitely doable, but it, it everything they do is in-house. They don't source anything out. Anything they do is something that's in-house. If they're using meat, it's something that was meat from their farm. Um, and that's what the, the dog food company, or excuse me, uh, dog 
uh, shop had, had explained to me, which I thought was very interesting and important to me um, because it was nice to know where all it comes from. Now, again, for me, a lot of it is just the ease because, as you know, I have a pretty tough schedule every day. Um, I mean, I'm usually, you know, teaching and riding up to anywhere from 9 to 12 horses and stuff for me to get to the grocery store is just not always that easy. So that, that that's what I ended up doing. Um, and I will, and like you said, I do try to, they do have different types of um, meats that they have and the, the, the dog food that I'm feeding now. But I, I always do try to kind of mix that up a little bit as well. Um, but I know a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, a lot of stuff is, for them is just pure, unadulterated convenience. And being able to find a good dog food and feel good about it long term. I think a great avenue is to go on dog advisory, don't you? Dog food advisor. Dog food advisor. Yeah. Dog Yes, I I agree. I recommend that anybody when you're looking to improve or change your dog's food, please go to Dog Food Advisor and and pick the best that you can afford. Yep. And 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 there's a lot of good information on there. Another good little tidbit is you actually can order a lot of this stuff off of Amazon and have it drop shipped to you and it's not that much more expensive. Sometimes they even have um little like um club deals where if you join it's not you join or you agree to buy um two bags of dog food a month, then you get even more of a discount. And they Great. have like yeah, and they have from and stuff like that on there. So it's it's a good it's another good avenue. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching the Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycritters.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean the litter box. Dance with your goat. <laughs> <laughs>